Theological education should be affordable. Seminary students should not have to take out tens of thousands of dollars in student loans to train for the ministry. At Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary, our students pay a base of $75 per credit hour and a $375 per semester fee. For more information on how you can receive informed scholarship with Pastoral Heart, check out our website, cbtseminary.org. Welcome to the Man of God Network, ministry of Covenant Baptist Theological Seminary in Owensboro, Kentucky. A couple of days ago, I was looking at Robert Louis Dabney's book called Sacred Rhetoric. wanted to read his last chapter, which was a chapter on public prayer. And I noticed that Dabney referred to the Westminster Standards for Public Worship. So I looked into that document, and though as Reformed Baptists there are certain things that we would not agree with, like necessarily embracing the Solemn League and Covenant, and we don't pray for monarchs in our day, and other such things that are in there, I discovered as I was doing a study of the history of it, though, that the main author was Philip Nye. Philip Nye, you may not know that name, but he was one of the six independents that were on the Savoy Committee with John Owen and Thomas Goodwin, who put together the Savoy Declaration in 1658. And still, as I narrated this for this podcast, especially the section on prayer before the public preaching, I thought there were still some very, very good things in there. In fact, so much so that I thought that if these things were embraced and inculcated, it would really show true revival had affected the local assembly. And with that, I want to expose you to this historic document that first came out in the year 1644, the Westminster Directory for Public Worship up through the parts of a sermon, the preface. In the beginning of the Blessed Reformation, our wise and pious ancestors took care to set forth an order for redress of many things, which they then, by the word, discovered to be vain erroneous, superstitious, and idolatrous in the public worship of God. This occasioned many godly and learned men to rejoice much in the Book of Common Prayer, at that time set forth, because the Mass and the rest of the Latin service being removed, the public worship was celebrated in our own tongue. Many of the common people also received benefit by hearing the scriptures read in their own language, which formerly were unto them as a book that is sealed, albeit. Long and sad experience has made it manifest that the liturgy used in the Church of England, notwithstanding all the pains and religious intentions of the compilers of it, has proved an offense, not only to many of the godly at home, but also to the Reformed churches abroad, for not to speak of urging the reading of all the prayers, which very greatly increased the burden of it, The many unprofitable and burdensome ceremonies contained in it have occasioned much mischief as as well by disquieting the consciences of many godly ministers and people who could not yield to them as by depriving them of the ordinances of God which they might not enjoy without conforming or subscribing to those ceremonies. Sundry good Christians have been by means thereof kept from the Lord's table and divers able and faithful ministers debarred from the exercise of their ministry to the endangering of many thousand souls in a time of such scarcity of faithful pastors, and spoiled of their livelihood to the undoing of them and their families. Prelates and their faction have labored to raise the estimation of it to such a height 
as if there were no other worship or way of worship of God amongst us, but only the service book, to the great hindrance of the preaching of the word, and in some places, especially of late, to the justling of it out as unnecessary or at best as far inferior to the reading of common prayer, which was made no better than an idol by many ignorant and superstitious people, who pleasing themselves in their presence at that service, and their lip labor and bearing a part in it, have thereby hardened themselves in their ignorance and carelessness of saving knowledge and true piety. In the meantime, papists boasted that the book was a compliance with them in a great part of their service, and so were not a little confirmed in their superstition and idolatry, expecting rather our return to them than endeavoring the reformation of themselves in which expectation they were of late very much encouraged when upon the pretended warrantableness of imposing of the former ceremonies, new ones were daily obtruded upon the church, and hereunto which was not foreseen. But since have come to pass that the liturgy has been a great means, is on the one hand to make an increase in idle and unedifying ministry, which contented itself with set forms made to their hands by others, without putting forth themselves to exercise the gift of prayer, with which our Lord Jesus Christ pleases to furnish all his servants whom he calls to that office. So on the other side, it has been and ever would be if continued a manner of endless strife and contention in the church, and a snare both to many godly and faithful ministers who have been persecuted and silenced upon that occasion, and to others of hopeful parts, many of which have been, and more still would be, diverted from all thoughts of the ministry to other studies, especially in these latter times wherein God vouchsafes to his people more and better means for the discovery of error and superstition, and for attaining of knowledge in the mysteries of godliness and gifts in preaching and prayer. Upon these, and many the like weighty considerations in reference to the whole book in general, and because of divers particulars contained in it, not from any love to novelty, or intention to disparage our first reformers, of whom we are persuaded that, were they now alive, they would join with us in this work, and whom we acknowledge as excellent instruments raised by God to begin the purging and building of his house, and desire that they may be had of us in posterity and everlasting remembrance, with thankfulness and honor, but that we may in some measure answer the gracious providence of God, which at this time calls upon us for further reformation, and may satisfy our own consciences, and answer the expectation of other reformed churches, and the desires of many of the godly among ourselves, and withal give some public testimony of our endeavors for uniformity and divine worship, which we have promised in our solemn league and covenant. We have, after earnest and frequent calling upon the name of God, and after much consultation not with flesh and blood but with his holy word, resolved to lay aside the former liturgy, with the many rites and ceremonies formerly used in the worship of God, and have agreed upon this following directory for all the parts of public worship, at ordinary and extraordinary times, wherein our care has been to hold forth such things as are of divine institution in every ordinance, and other things we have endeavored to set forth according to the rules of Christian prudence, agreeable to the general rules of the word of God, our meaning therein being only that the general heads, 
the sense and scope of the prayers and the other parts of public worship being known to all, there may be a consent of all the churches and all things that contain the substance of the service and worship of God, and the ministers may hereby be directed in their administrations to keep like soundness and doctrine and prayer, and may, if need be, have some help and furniture, and yet so as they become not hereby slothful and negligent in stirring up the gifts of Christ in them, but that each one, by meditation, by taking heed to himself and the flock of God committed to him, and by wise observing the ways of divine providence, may be careful to furnish his heart and tongue with further or other materials of prayer and exhortation, and shall be needful upon all occasions of the assembling of the congregation and their behavior in the public worship of God. When the congregation is to meet for public worship, the people, having before prepared their hearts thereunto, ought all to come and join therein, not abstaining themselves from the public ordinance through negligence or upon pretense of private meetings. Let all enter the assembly, not irreverently, but in a grave and seemly manner, taking their seats or places without adoration, or bowing themselves towards one place or other. The congregation being assembled, the minister, after solemn calling on them to the worshiping of the great name of God, is to begin with prayer in all reverence and humility acknowledging the incomprehensible greatness and majesty of the Lord, in whose presence they do then in a special manner appear, and their own vileness and unworthiness to approach so near him, with their utter inability of themselves to so great a work, and humbly beseeching him for pardon, assistance, and acceptance in the whole service then to be performed, and for a blessing on that particular portion of his word then to be read, and all in the name and mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The public worship being begun, the people are holy to attend upon it, forbearing to read anything except what the minister is in reading or citing, and abstaining much more from all private whisperings, conferences, salutations, or doing reverence to any person present or coming in. It's also from all gazing, sleeping, and other indecent behavior, which may disturb the minister or people, or hinder themselves or others in the service of God. If any through necessity be hindered from being present at the beginning, they ought not when they come into the congregation, to betake themselves to their private devotions, but reverently to compose themselves to join with the assembly in that ordinance of God which is then in hand. A public reading of the Holy Scriptures. Reading of the Word in the congregation, being part of the public worship of God, wherein we acknowledge our dependence upon Him and subjection to Him, and one mean sanctified by him for the edifying of his people is to be performed by the pastors and teachers. Howbeit, such as attend the ministry may occasionally both read the word and exercise their gift in preaching in the congregation, if allowed by the presbytery thereunto. All the canonical books of the Old and New Testament but none of those which are commonly called apocrypha shall be publicly read in the vulgar tongue out of the best allowed translation distinctly, 
that all may hear and understand. How large a portion shall be read at once is left to the wisdom of the minister. But it is convenient that ordinarily one chapter of each testament be read at every meeting, and sometimes more, where the chapters be short, or the coherence of manner requires it. It is requisite that all the canonical books be read over in order, that the people may be better acquainted with the whole body of the scriptures, and ordinarily where the reading in either testament ends on one Lord's Day, it is to begin the next. We commend also the more frequent reading of such scriptures as he that reads shall think best for edification of his hearers. It's a book of Psalms and such like. When a minister who reads shall judge it necessary to expound any part of what is read, let it not be done until the whole chapter or psalm be ended, and regard is always to be had to the time that neither preaching nor other ordinance be straightened or rendered tedious, which rule is to be observed in all other public performances. Beside public reading of the Holy Scriptures, every person that can read is to be exhorted to read the Scriptures privately, and all others that cannot read if not disabled by age or otherwise are likewise to be exhorted to learn to read and to have a Bible of public prayer before the sermon. After reading of the word and singing of the psalm, the minister who is to preach is to endeavor to get his own and his hearers' hearts to be rightly affected with their sins, that they may all mourn and sense thereof before the Lord, and hunger and thirst after the grace of God in Jesus Christ. By proceeding to a more full confession of sin with shame and holy confusion of face, and to call upon the Lord to this effect. To acknowledge our great sinfulness. First, by reason of original sin, which beside the guilt that makes us liable to everlasting damnation is the seed of all other sins, has depraved and poisoned all the faculties and powers of soul and body, defiles all our best actions, and were it not restrained, our hearts renewed by grace would break forth into innumerable transgressions and greatest rebellions against the Lord that ever were committed by the vilest of the sons of men. And next, by reason of actual sins, our own sins, the sense of magistrates, of ministers, and of the whole nation to which we are many ways accessory, which sins of ours receive many fearful aggravations, we have broken all the commandments of the holy, just, and good law of God, doing that which is forbidden, and leaving undone what is enjoined, and that not only out of ignorance and infirmity, but also more presumptuously against the light of our minds, checks of our consciences, and motions of his Holy Spirit to the contrary, so that we have no cloak for our sins. Yea, not only despising the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, but standing out against many invitations and offers of grace in the gospel, not endeavoring as we ought to receive Christ into our hearts by faith, or to walk worthy of him in our lives, to beware our blindness of mind, hardness of heart, unbelief, impenitency, carnal security, lukewarmness, barrenness, or not endeavoring after mortification and newness of life, 
not after the exercise of godliness and the power thereof, and that the best of us have not so steadfastly walked with God, kept our garments so unspotted, nor been so zealous of his glory in the good of others as we ought, and to mourn over such other sins as the congregation is particularly guilty of, notwithstanding the manifold and great mercies of our God, the love of Christ, the light of the gospel, and reformation of religion, our own purposes, promises, vows, solemn covenant, and other special obligations to the contrary. To acknowledge and confess that, as we are convinced of our guilt, so out of a deep sense thereof, we judge ourselves unworthy of the smallest benefits, most worthy of God's fiercest wrath, and all of the curses of the law and heaviest judgments inflicted upon the most rebellious sinners, and that he might most justly take his kingdom and gospel from us, plague us with all sorts of spiritual and temporal judgments in this life, and after cast us into utter darkness in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, whereas we being a gnashing of teeth forevermore, notwithstanding all wish to draw near to the throne of grace, encouraging ourselves with hope of a gracious answer of our prayers, in the riches and all-sufficiency of that only one oblation, the satisfaction and intercession of the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of his Father and our Father, and in confidence of the exceeding great and precious promises of mercy and grace in the new covenant, through the same mediator thereof, to deprecate the heavy wrath and curse of God, which we are not able to avoid or bear, and humbly and earnestly to supplicate for mercy and the free and full remission of all our sins, and that only for the bitter sufferings and precious merits of that our only Savior Jesus Christ, that the Lord which vouchsafed to shed abroad his love in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, seal unto us by the same spirit of adoption the full assurance of our pardon and reconciliation, comfort all that mourn in Zion, speak peace to the wounded and troubled spirit, and bind up the brokenhearted, and ask for secure and presumptuous sinners, that he would open their eyes, convince their consciences, and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they also may receive forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith in Christ Jesus, with remissions of sins through the blood of Christ, to pray for sanctification by his Spirit, the mortification of sin dwelling in and many times tyrannizing over us, the quickening of our dead spirits with the life of God in Christ, grace to fit and enable us for all duties of conversation and calling towards God and men, strength against temptations, the sanctified use of blessings and crosses, and perseverance and faith and obedience to the end, to pray for the propagation of the gospel and kingdom of Christ to all nations, for the conversion of the Jews, the fullness of the Gentiles, the fall of Antichrist, and the hastening of the second coming of our Lord, for the deliverance of the distressed churches abroad from the tyranny of the anti-Christian faction, and from the cruel oppressions and blasphemies of the Turk, for the blessing of God upon the Reformed churches, especially upon the churches and kingdoms of Scotland, England, and Ireland, 
now more strictly and religiously united in the solemn National League and Covenant, and for our plantations in the remotest parts of the world, more particularly for that church and kingdom whereof we are members, that therein God would establish peace and truth, the purity of all of its ordinances, and the power of godliness, prevent and remove heresy, schism, profaneness, superstition, security, unfruitfulness under the means of grace, heal all our rents and divisions, and preserve us from the breach of our solemn covenant, to pray for all in authority, especially for the king's majesty, that God would make him rich in blessings, both in his person and government, establish his throne in religion and righteousness, save him from evil counsel, and make him a blessed and glorious instrument for the conversation and propagation of the gospel, for the encouragement and protection of them that do dwell, the terror of all that do evil, and the great good of the whole church and of all of its kingdoms, for the conversion of the queen, the religious education of the prince, and the rest of the royal seed, for the comforting of the afflicted queen of Bohemia, sister to our sovereign, and for the restitution and establishment of the illustrious Prince Charles, Elector Palatine of the Rhine, to all his dominions and dignities, for a blessing upon the High Court of Parliament, when sitting in any of these kingdoms, respectively, the nobility, the subordinate judges and magistrates, the gentry, and all the commonality, for all pastors and teachers, that God would fill them with His Spirit, make them exemplarily holy, sober, just, peaceable, and gracious in their lives, sound, faithful, and powerful in their ministry, and follow all their labors with abundance of success and blessing, and give unto all his people pastors according to his own heart. For the universities and all schools and religious seminaries of church and commonwealth, that they may flourish more and more in learning and piety. For the particular city or congregation that God would pour out a blessing upon the ministry of the word, sacraments, and discipline, upon the civil government, and on all the several families and persons therein. For mercy to the afflicted under any inward or outward distress, for seasonable weather and fruitful seasons as the time may require, for averting the judgments we either feel or fear, or are liable unto as famine, pestilence, the sword, and such like, and with confidence of his mercy to his whole church, in the acceptance of our person through the merits and mediation of our high priest, the Lord Jesus, to profess that it is the desire of our souls to have fellowship with God in the reverent and conscionable use of his holy ordinances, and to that purpose, to pray earnestly for his grace and effectual assistance to the sanctification of his holy Sabbath, to Lord's days, and all the duties thereof, public and private, both to ourselves and to all other congregations of his people, according to the riches and excellency of the gospel this day celebrated and enjoyed. And because we have been unprofitable hearers in times past, and now cannot of ourselves receive as we should the deep things of God, the mysteries of Jesus Christ, 
which require a spiritual discerning, to pray that the Lord who teaches to profit would graciously please to pour out the spirit of grace together with the outward means thereof, causing us to attain such a measure of the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord, and in him, of the things which belong to our peace, that we may account all things but as dross in comparison of him, and that we, tasting the first fruits of the glory that is to be revealed, may long for a more full and perfect communion with him, that where he is we may be also, and enjoy the fullness of those joys and pleasures which are at his right hand forevermore. More particularly, that God would in a special manner furnish his servant, now called to dispense the bread of life to his household, with wisdom, fidelity, zeal, and utterance, that he may divide the word of God aright to everyone his portion, in evidence and demonstration of the Spirit and power, and that the Lord would circumcise the ears and hearts of the hearers to hear, love, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save their souls, make them as good ground to receive in the good seed of the word, and strengthen them against the temptations of Satan, the cares of the world, the hardness of their own hearts, and whatsoever else may hinder their profitable and saving hearing, that so Christ may be formed in them and live in them, that all their thoughts may be brought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and their hearts established in every good word and work forever. We judge this to be a convenient order in the ordinary public prayer. Yet, so, as a minister may defer, as in prudence he shall think meet some part of these petitions till after his sermon, or offer up to God some of the thanksgiving hereafter appointed in his prayer before his sermon. Of the Preaching of the Word Preaching of the Word Being the power of God unto salvation And one of the greatest and most excellent works belonging to the ministry of the gospel should be so performed that the workman need not be ashamed, but may save himself and those that hear him. It is presupposed, according to the rules for ordination, that the minister of Christ is in some good measure gifted for so weighty a service by his skill in the original language and in such arts and sciences as are handmaids unto divinity, by his knowledge in the whole body of theology by most of all in the Holy Scriptures, having his senses and heart exercised in them above the common sort of believers, and by the illumination of God's Spirit, and other gifts of edification, which together with reading and studying of the Word he ought still to seek, by prayer, and an humble heart, resolving to admit and receive any truth not yet attained, whenever God shall make it known to him all which he is to make use of and improve in his private preparations before he deliver in public what he has provided. Ordinarily, the subject of his sermon is to be some text of scripture, holding forth some principal head of religion, or suitable to some special occasion emergent, or he may go on in some chapter, psalm, or book of the Holy Scripture as he shall see fit. Let the introduction to his text be brief and perspicuous, drawn from the text itself for context, 
or some parallel place or general sentence of scripture, if the text be long, as in histories or parables it sometimes must be, let him give a brief sum of it, if short, a paraphrase thereof, if need be, and both look intelligently to the scope of the text, and pointing at the chief heads and crowns of doctrine which he is to raise from it, and analyzing and dividing his text, he is to regard more the order of matter than of words, and neither to burden the memory of the hearers in the beginning with too many members of division, nor to trouble their minds with obscure terms of art. And raising doctrines from the text, his care ought to be first, that the manner be the truth of God, secondly, that it be a truth contained in or grounded on that text, that the hearers may discern how God teaches it from thence. Thirdly, that he chiefly insist upon those doctrines which are principally intended, and make most for the edification of the hearers. The doctrine is to be expressed in plain terms, or if in anything in it need explication, it is to be opened. And the consequence also from the text cleared. The parallel places of scripture, confirming the doctrine, are rather to be plain and pertinent than many, and it need be somewhat insisted upon and applied to the purpose in hand. The arguments or reasons are to be solid, and as much as may be convincing. The illustrations of what kind soever ought to be full of light, and such as may convey the truth into the hearer's heart with spiritual delight. If any doubt obvious from scripture reason or prejudice of the hearers seem to arise, it is very requisite to remove it by reconciling the seeming differences, answering the reasons and discovering and taking away the causes of prejudice and mistake. Otherwise it is not fit to detain the hearers with propounding or answering vain or wicked cavils, which is there endless, so the propounding and answering of them does more hinder than promote edification. He is not to rest in general doctrine, although never so much cleared and confirmed, but to bring it home to special use by application to his hearers, which albeit prove a work of great difficulty to himself, requiring much prudence, ill, and meditation, and to the natural and corrupt man will be very unpleasant. Yet he is to endeavor to perform it in such a manner that his auditors may feel the word of God to be quick and powerful, and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart and that if any unbeliever or ignorant person be present, he may have the secrets of his heart made manifest and give glory to God. And the use of instruction or information, and the knowledge of some truth, which is a consequence from his doctrine, he may, when convenient, confirm it by a few firm arguments from the text in hand, and other places of scripture, or from the nature of that commonplace and divinity whereof that truth is a branch in confutation of false doctrines, he is neither to raise an old heresy from the grave, nor to mention a blasphemous opinion unnecessarily, but if the people be in danger of an error, he is to confute it soundly, and endeavor to satisfy their judgments and consciences against all objections. In exhorting to duties, he is, as he sees cause, to teach also the means that help to the performance of them and dehortation, reprehension, and public admonition, 
which requires special wisdom, let him, as there shall be cause, not only to discover the nature and greatness of the sin, with the misery attending it, but also show the danger his hearers are in to be overtaken and surprised by it together with the remedies and best way to avoid it and applying comfort, whether general against all temptations or particular against some special troubles or terrors. He is carefully to answer such objections as a troubled heart and afflicted spirit may suggest to the contrary. It is also sometimes requisite to give some notes of trial which is very profitable, especially when performed by able and experienced ministers, with circumspection and prudence, and a science clearly grounded on the Holy Scripture, whereby the hearers may be able to examine themselves whether they have attained those graces and performed those duties to which he exhorts, or be guilty of the sin reprehended and in danger of the judgment threatened or are such to whom the consolations propounded belong, that accordingly they may be quickened and excited to duty, humble for their wants and sins, affected with their danger and strengthened with comfort as their condition upon examination shall require, and as he needs not always to prosecute every doctrine which lies in his text, so he is wisely to make choice of such uses as by his residence in conversing with his flock he finds most needful and seasonable. And amongst these, such as may most draw their souls to Christ, a fountain of light, holiness, and comfort. This method is not prescribed as necessary for every man or upon every text, but only recommended as being found by experience to be very much blessed of God, and very helpful for the people's understandings and memories. But the servant of Christ, whatever his method be, is to perform his whole ministry. One painfully, not doing the work of the Lord negligently. 2. Plainly, that the meanest may understand delivering the truth not in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Abstaining also from an unprofitable use of unknown tongues, strange phrases, and cadences of sounds and words, sparingly citing sentences of ecclesiastical or other human writers, ancient or modern, be they never so elegant. 3. Faithfully, looking at the honor of Christ, the conversion, edification, and salvation of the people, not at his own gain or glory, keeping nothing back which may promote these holy ends, given to everyone his own portion and bearing indifferent respect unto all without neglecting the meanest or sparing the greatest in their sins. 4. Wisely framing all of his doctrines, exhortation, and especially his reproofs, in such a manner as may be most likely to prevail, showing all due respect to each man's person and place, and not mixing his own passion or bitterness. 5. Gravely as becomes the word of God shunning all such gesture, voice, and expressions as may occasion the corruptions of men to despise him in his ministry. 6. With love and affection, that the people may see all coming from his godly zeal and hearty desire to do them good. And 7. As taught of God, and persuaded in his own heart that all he teaches is the truth of Christ, and walking before his flock as an example to them in it 
earnestly both in private and public, recommending his labors to the blessing of God and watchfully looking to himself and the flock whereof the Lord has made him overseer. Shall so the doctrine of the truth be preserved and corrupt? Many souls converted and built up, and himself received manifold comforts of his labors even in this life, and afterward the crown of glory laid up for him in the world to come, where there are more ministers in a congregation than one, and day of different gifts. Each may more especially apply himself to doctrine or exhortation according to the gift in which he most excels, and as they shall agree between themselves.